Titans go. This is exciting, this one. Episode 15, 15 episodes in, a quarter of 60 episodes. I was going to say 25, but this is a milestone for us, but another interesting week in Premier League action. We have not necessarily Premier League, the Carabao Cup final. We have 50 views, right? Like over 50 now? Yeah. Right on. That's a milestone. That's a milestone. Get us to 100 viewers. <laughs> anyway, as per usual, we're going to be talking about some of the games from this past weekend and kind of what it means for, for those clubs. Uh, Arsenal Leicester playing, Tottenham Chelsea playing, and United Newcastle squaring off in the Carabao Cup final and moving into stoppage time as usual. I watched the highlights from the Arsenal Leicester thing. Seemed like a routine enough win, but some refereeing controversies it looked like. I, I just I, I, okay. I just want to say this. It was a very un like really, really good win from Arsenal. And not not in the way of like oh they um you know they scored four goals or anything like that, because they didn't. But like I don't think Leicester, if I remember correctly, they didn't have a shot in the entire game. They didn't really have a big chance. They had one chance, I think, in the highlight package, and yeah. then, the, then it was from Dewsbury Hall. Oh, yeah. Just went wide. Yeah, yeah, that's the only one. Yeah. So the the thing with the Arsenal game, it was one of those games where you like to see these performances because it was just a complete performance. We we could have been better in the in the final third, but I will say this is I think Artetis found his front three until Jesus comes back. That's the thing. It really was back to looking, okay, let's get a front three that's adding more fluidity because Nketiah adds no fluidity. He no. sits there, he runs into the box, he runs out of the box, he runs back into the box. And you saw, like, Saka primarily stays on the right. He kind of drifts into the center, but you saw Trossard and Martinelli. You didn't know who was playing. That was a beautiful was finish. <laughs> the one that didn't count. Oh, no, I know. Trossard's. Did you see Trossard had, had a step over where he... He sent a through ball by nutmegging the defender to Martinelli. And then Martinelli's finish was beautiful. I almost had a heart attack, though, because he got stamped on the knee. Yeah, and the way that I looked at it, I didn't. When I saw that he got stamped, I was like, thank God. Because I thought it's just he twisted his knee, and that would have been that would have been game over for Arsenal or for the season, anyways. But I would have liked to see how the game would have been with Madison because he wasn't in the game. And Leicester seemed like they couldn't create anything. So. Really happy with Jorginho. Like he's been like a really good disruptor. Oh, absolutely. He doesn't quite um, cause problems like Partey. As far as like Partey really lays the body, but he doesn't tackle as nice as Jorginho. Jorginho like intercepts a pass and then gets it going. Where, excuse me, uh, Partey more like kind of gets you out of your position more so than getting the ball away from you as often as Jorginho does. But like I said, really good performance. Zinchenko was the captain that game and Odegaard started. So I don't know if interesting, I think like Arteta's talked about how he has like a circle of captains or whatever. So I, I wonder if he just wanted to take the pressure off Odegaard because Odegaard's kind of dipped in form and maybe that was it, but the thing that I like to see with Jorginho is it's giving you that deep lying play because we know Odegaard's fantastic, but he's not giving 30, 40 yard balls over the top to, to Saka or Martinelli or Trossard to run onto. And that's something Jorginho can do. And these guys do have pace. I think Arsenal's counterattacking on the whole should be a little bit better than what it has been this year, given the players that they have. 
Yeah. So like I said, just to end off with my point with Arsenal and Leicester's, it was just really nice to see the beginning uh, games of Arsenal that we saw in this season where you didn't know if Martinelli or Jesus was the striker or the winger. And you saw that with Trossard. And I got to say, like, Trossard, that game really confirmed to me Trossard was the right pick outside of Mudrick. Maybe not long-term, like you said, but – and we'll get into Mudrick because they have James Bond – 007, zero goals, zero assists, seven <laughs> games. So well, my last point on Arsenal, I I think it helps having just Arteta being able to pick pick different players because for a while there, opposition managers putting their game plan together against Arsenal, they knew exactly who they were going to be playing or who in what positions and how the team was going to get set up. And, and that worked for Arsenal for a while, but that, that might have been another reason why they started dropping some, some of those points. And in those games as an opposition manager, you knew what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. And this was a, a bit of a curveball from what we've seen lately. Um, Tottenham, Chelsea. God, I, I, I just want to say this before I ask you about your opinion. I just want to say I hate Spurs, but lately, like I this year, I hate Chelsea. So it was a draw would have been nice, but I was I was very happy when when Tottenham won that game. But what did you think? I think we've we've said in the past, I think jokingly, ninety percent of the time that we could manage that team and get better results than than this person. This time, I actually mean it. <laughs> I, I just don't understand how you can not get results, not get these performances with the the players that you have and. Tottenham away should be a you know Tottenham probably our our favorites given that but just what we've seen with with Southampton last week or whatever was was it Southampton yeah, it was at, Southampton. at home at Stamford Bridge against the worst team in the league it's it's just ridiculous I think we could do better and Graham Potter how does I just if he does get fired and we're probably gonna not to jump ahead because I'm sure we're talking about that or we'll get to talk yeah. about that but where the heck would he go? From here, who would ever want this guy after seeing what he's done at Chelsea so far? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's even the worst managers that we've seen have had awful stints in the Premier League. David Moyes' tenure at United, he was still hireable as a coach at a fairly decent level up until, you know, after that time. But Potter, I don't think you can say the same. Well, and here's the thing. I just want to touch on the game just for a second, and then I'll, I'll go into Potter because he's a freaking idiot right now um but the game Chelsea offered nothing like you, you would have thought the game just the way that Tottenham played it would have been significant pressure by Chelsea Tottenham playing out from the uh playing out on the counter but it just really seemed that um you know Tottenham got to play a little bit of football and not only that I both goals are like just beyond me where like I give Potter a little bit of sympathy because it does seem, and I want to know your opinion on this. It just seems like a bunch of players that want him out because they, it doesn't, I don't know who's playing for him. How in the heck when they're clearing their lines, they off the first goal. I don't know if you watched the, the highlights, but the, um, the first goal, it was like the weakest clearance and Oliver Skip. Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His first goal in a Tottenham shirt hits, like he kicks it right at um, Kepa. 
And, you know, sometimes these like fast ones, they get up, but Keppa made the save, but his hands were so freaking limp that it just hit the bar and went in after he hit. Like, I just think if you look at like a goalkeeper like Mendy or Allison, this would have hit the bar and went out. There would have been enough, enough strength on the hands that it would have went out. And it just looked like there's a mistake on the clearance and there's a lack of effort on the save. But then the second goal, what is Raheem Sterling doing? Man marking Harry Kane at the far post. That is makes no sense. Probably, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the guy, but you have to respect talent. Probably the best striker, um, not necessarily in form because we got Rashford going on right now, but he's probably... Um, he's probably he's been about the most consistent yeah. striker in the Premier League. This well, year. even like out of the strikers who are playing really well, he's probably the best player out of all of them. If you're looking at like you're saying consistency, it's not just form. You take away form, he's still probably the best striker around. And you have Raheem Sterling man marking him like that. I don't understand. So, and you have a guy like Koulibaly and you have Silva. Why? I, I don't understand. But anyways, on to the, the thing with Spurs. Are they better without Conte? Because it sure as hell looks like it. <laughs> like, I know, that, that's, that's tricky to say. Because ultimately the assistant, I think, is looking, oh, this is what, uh, to some extent, because he's been a loyal lieutenant of Conte in a couple different jobs, I believe. So I think it's, it's not like there's been a tactical change, I don't think, between what, what Conte was doing and what the assistant manager's doing now. Maybe there's... I do think at this point it's just a coincidence. It's not a complete overhaul. The guy's probably talking to Conte oh. in, in in between the training sessions and things like that. So it's still it's still Conte ball in a sense. And and they are probably gonna make top four at this point. They've got a they're gonna probably get five points every three games for the rest of the year and they're five or six points every three games and that'll that looks like it's gonna be enough to get over the line anyway. I think, like, I, I did think it's, like, I never thought it was, like, a different style of football. It just didn't seem as uh, rigid as what Conte, like, players looked like they weren't as scared to go forward a little. Like, it was still, everybody was back. It still looked like Conte ball. It just did not seem as um, rigid on nobody's going forward until we absolutely can. It actually looked like a style of football, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but, like, um Conte just, it sometimes seems like, you know, Harry Kane goes over the halfway line while they're on defense and Conte's swearing at him. But I just want to say this about Pollard, like outside of the game. This guy needs to stop making excuses. I don't know if you've seen in the news, ESPN uh, FC covered it, but he blamed Tuchel's preseason. <laughs> like, are you, are you nuts? Like he blamed the preseason and he's like, even the players didn't even think that was that great. And then he and then he starts to make comparisons with Ten Hag and Arteta um, on why you shouldn't be sacked. So he's like, "Oh, look at the time that Arteta got." And then he even made a comparison to Klopp. Like he goes, "Oh, you know, it's not going well for Klopp either, and they're not sacked." I'm sorry, you're not Klopp, okay? And you didn't. And Arteta was because this, the the squad that Arteta inherited was a sixth, seventh place team yeah. to begin with and, and Potter's working with probably the just just skill level of on the whole minus the team aspect probably third third best squad and where Arteta was 
is Arteta did was probably at the point where he was, if he made him, if he didn't start winning, he was going to be in trouble. And then he started winning. Right. And not necessarily like, I'm not talking, I'm talking about last season where it was like the first three games of the season were losses and they were nine, they had zero goals, nine, nine conceded. And it was like, you have to get it together. And he did. Potter hasn't gotten it together one time this year. He's won twice there's, in 14. Yeah, there's an inverse relationship between the points that they pick up and the amount of money that they spent. I saw a stat that like Real Madrid has as many uh, goals in the Premier League as Chelsea does. But I don't know how accurate that is. But I just think Potter needs to stop blaming people or stop making comparisons and worry about himself because he's you're 20, we're 24 games into the season. Yeah, some have played 24, some have played 25. Two thirds of the way. That is enough time to get some people together. And it's been enough time a whole month after January. It's enough time to figure out your, your 11. And it's starting to get to the point where you have that many players. You don't need to play Mason Mount. Okay. It's not good. You don't need to play Havertz. Right He's the top scorer, five goals. I, That's ridiculous. But, Only five goals. But here's the thing: is he like not to say that Havertz isn't a good player? I just think he should be safe and play like a system like Aubameyang. Like just for right now, Aubameyang can score, even though he can't do other stuff very well anymore. You play him, and then you play your pacey wingers, and then add some creativity to the midfield, just a little bit more simplistic. Instead of trying this, because you just need something. And it there's been a lot working. of rotation in the squad yeah. too. You have no. I don't think the players have any idea who's going to be playing the next day. It's a lot of reminds me. It reminds me of the what we saw with Manchester United last year when Ragnick was in charge, as terms of whether the players were committed to the cause. And Ragnick, I think, is a good was a good philosopher of the game on paper. He could be a potentially good manager, but the coaching and the management just didn't translate. I think he's a good mind of the game, but it didn't go beyond that. And Potter might be like that, or like we've talked about in the past on the show, is are some managers just not cut out to manage top level teams? They might do fine if you give them a, a mid table team, but they just can't make any progress with anything bigger. I was just gonna ask just for the future of these episodes. Should we stop? Like, if they keep losing, should we stop covering it? Like, Potter, like, like if he, if they're just the boards, like, it doesn't matter how many times he loses, we're gonna keep him. Is there like a point in like, I don't know, not not that I don't want to cover it because there's nothing more that I like this year than seeing Chelsea spend six hundred million and and do nothing with it, and you have Eric Ten Hag's first year doing stuff with Banghorst, you know, like. Like, let's be realistic about it, you know? Like, so I don't know. It's just, if they're not going to, like, they would actually have to spend money. Like, I think Potter cost Chelsea 60 million or something like that. Like, to buy him out. Like, it's the most embarrassing thing, shit I've ever heard of in my life. And really, Tuchel didn't have an awful start to the season. I think he had six, 10 points from six games. So even at a big club like Chelsea, 10 points from six games isn't the end of the world. It's, you can make that up. Well, that's the thing, though. Is that a new owner comes in. Well, if if Tuchel just decided to play to play Todd Bowley's uh, four four three, everything would have been fine. Well, that's what they need <laughs> right now. That's what they, you know. Come give on. them another player on the pitch. They might be able. To... No, but how can you? 
Oh, that must be so. I, and I mean, I do feel for Potter, but I think he needs to grow a set and, and go to Bowley and say, You hired me to manage this team. I don't want you to give me expectations of who, who I should be playing or not. Like, maybe there's like they brought a lot of attacking players, but maybe they just need to add another holding midfielder into that, that formation and it could help them out a lot or, or things like that. So, I think Potter's being quite a chicken about how he approaches this and. Ultimately, he's, he's probably worried at this point that if he goes to Bowley and complains whatsoever, he's going to be gone. Because oh, it's not like, because some managers, they get the results and they have that standing within the board to go up and, and criticize them in some way or another, have the oomph to do that. Uh, that's why I really like the um, Arteta and Ten Hag things. It's good to be us right now for the time being. Because what I like to appreciate about Ten Hag is like very similar to Arteta. Arteta had the Aubameyang situation. Ten Hag had the Ronaldo situation. But I don't know if Ten Hag's had to. He might have to still. But I remember Arteta wasn't getting any money. And then all of a sudden you saw him in in Colorado with the Cronkies up. And like, he, like he looked like, okay, like give me some money. Because um, so I appreciate when a manager decides, hey, we got a manager or we got a manager or I, I need the um, leash to manage. But speaking of Ten Hag, you want a trophy? What trophy? <laughs> no, here's the thing. Ultimately, the, the, people are going to be happy that United have won a trophy for the first time in six years or whatever that. But I, I, I don't care about the trophy. But what I have seen with the result against Newcastle, the results against Barcelona in the Europa League, I think we're seeing a real shift in mentality in United because that's, it's easy for that team to when they when things are going well and they're scoring lots of goals to celebrate but these guys are celebrating great defensive plays like they've just scored a goal after the final whistle blew for the game against Newcastle Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro got into a heated argument because they're 2-0 they're up the game's dead and Casemiro had to go at Bruno for not playing in a, a, a better pass and, and trying to go alone with nine with, when you're 2-0 up in stoppage time the trophy's already yours like we're seeing that mentality. Ten Hag did his press conference, brought the trophy in, and then forgot it on the way out. And the reporters had to say, "Oh, we got the trophy. Oh, I'm on to the next one." He he said or something like that. So we're seeing that that mentality that that doesn't exist, and I think that didn't exist for the last eight or ten years with United. And that's for me the most promising thing. I could care less about the Carabao Cup and the Europa League. For me, if you're, these are both competitions that are second tier. The, the elite domestic comp competition in England is the FA Cup. The elite European trophy is the Champions League. These are both second-tier trophies. So if you if you want to call yourself a big team, you shouldn't be celebrating these trophies. So I'm celebrating the way United have changed the last two months. These these trophies are just a byproduct. I don't really care about that. For me, the bigger picture is how the mentality has changed. I, I like the mentality of United. I like how the players, and you might, you know, disagree with this, but I actually liked how they celebrated the Carabao Cup. I mean, lots of people have a go at United about like, oh, look, they, I saw um, some, some memes about, oh, United celebrating the Carabao Cup like they won the World Cup. But here's the thing, like I want, I don't want a team that prioritizes when they try, right? So it just seems like United, it's like every cup matters right now. It's a good mentality to have. Like, I know it doesn't matter to you as much for the second tier. You appreciate the mentality of what they're doing. But as for a player, like, I want my team to care about the Carabao Cup. I want them to care about the FA. I want them, 
Like it's, it's that mentality of we care about every game and we're only looking at it one game at a time. Like we care about winning the Premier League, but we first and foremost, we care about beating this team this week. We care about beating it. And you can really see that United doesn't look like a soft team anymore. Like they definitely seem, doesn't matter if it's the Caribou Cup, they're come ready to play. Only thing I have to, and by the way, they that game, the first half I thought uh, Newcastle was the better team. Um, and it just seems like Ten Hag is such a good manager. These halftime team talks are having an impact. Leicester, this Newcastle game. It's not even the team talk. Like It is the team talk, but like he just knows it. He watches the first half and he goes, this is what this team is doing to kill us. This is what we need to do. And he makes that a tactical adjustment. And it seems like he's very good at responding that way and what he says. But um, the only thing I worry about United, and it's not like a worry about next season or anything, but it seems like the glue of the team, like why the team is that the way it is, is three reasons. One, Ten Hag, which that's not going to change. Okay, so that's fine. But then I look at it as I look at the leadership of Casemiro and Varane specifically. I just wonder about like those older players that seem to be like galvanizing some of these. Cause I don't think Fernandez is, is, is that big of a leader in the same way that like Casemiro is like who, if Cap, if Fernandez is screwing around again and Casemiro is not there anymore, I don't know how long his contract is. It's not going to be a worry next this year, but it's just one of those that we get to come to a point where you don't have Casemiro or Varane to give certain players shit. Hopefully in two years, you're not going to have that issue, but it just seems like the reliance on the veteran players seem to be, he has to work that out. It's not like it's going to be a problem if you address it in the future transfer markets and things like that, or the, you know, emerging talents. I guess it depends for, for Varane and Casimir because they're not, I think Casimir just turned 31, Varane's yeah. 29. So I guess they they probably got, and Casimiro playing in that CDM role, I think as far as what position you can age the most and still be as effective as number six role might be as, as high as it gets in Varane. So they're probably, if they want to stay with this United project, they and I hope they do. And it's looking, and, and it, United looks like a fairly attractive option as a player right now. So hopefully they continue there and maybe Rashford can be that guy and and be the, can have that those conversations with, with Bruno. Even Fred's been developed, actually. I hear the thing, we've, we've shit on Fred a lot yeah. in the last few years, but he's actually been quite good this year. Christian Eriksen might be another one of those guys when he comes back in. So it is an aging, aging squad, but ultimately that Ten Hag influence, if, if it's anything, if it's even a value brand Sir Alex type of approach and if Ten Hag's here for five, five, ten years, that should just automatically with each game going by become further ingrained in all of the squad. So it's not something I particularly worry about. Yeah, I'm not worried. I just more, I shouldn't say worried. I just more food for thought. But let's get into stoppage time here. I'm going to get into it just because we, we both saw this picture um, there's a picture of Varane and Martinez, and then they had the same pose going on as uh, uh, Ferdinand and uh, Vidic. And uh, I'm just wondering, uh, is uh, Varane and Martinez the new uh, partnership at United? Like, oh, 
here's the thing. I, I see, we see these comparisons all the time with our teams, Ten Hag to Sir Alex, and I, I laugh it off most of the time. And I saw this one, and, <laughs> and, and, and it cracked me a little bit. And oh, but here's the thing: Varane is an established. Like Varane's in the same ball. Like, I'm just going to compare Varane and Ferdinand because in that partnership, Varane's the kind of technical defender, kind of good, good understanding of the game, good awareness. And then Martinez is the kind of destructive, very tenacious, very brave going hard in the tackle. So for me, Varane's already at that level. He's, he could retire tomorrow and be in the same ballpark as what Ferdinand is as a player with those four champions leagues, a world cup. So for me, the, the real question is Martinez, if he can be kind of what Vidic is. And ultimately, I don't think his height has let him down as much as any of us would have thought. He's been able to compete against physical players in the Premier League. So I'm, I'm always the pessimist, so I'm going to say no, but there's potential there. If, if Martinez is what we think he is and can continue to grow, because he is only 25, so he's got still some developing to do in, in that role, in the centre-back role. So... I'm hopeful, but Ferdinand and Vidic are absolute legends of United, and Varane and Martinez aren't at that level yet. I, I hate these type of comparisons. I think they could be. I don't think they're on on the level, but they could be. Like they do have that those similarities, but I hate it. They did that with Arsenal too, with Verkamp and Henri and Saka and Smith Rowe, which you know that hits my heart. That's, I guess it's maybe a little more acceptable because Varane's 29, Mark, but when you're doing this to 20, 21-year-olds like Saka and Smith, that's just unfair to oh, them no, as players. Well, here's the thing, too, is Saka's almost buying into it because he, not buying into it, but he's, like, taken under, like, he's very much befriended on Reno. Like, they talk all the time. And Saka's last goal that he had, he went up to the, the post and held held the post like Henri did. And I'm like, oh, my God. my. Oh. Anyway, Newcastle United lost the Carabao Cup final. Have had some lackluster results in the league. Tottenham's caught up now in fourth place. Newcastle top four hopes out the window. I think so. Um, it's not to say anything that uh, Newcastle did wrong. I just think that top three is secure, in my opinion. Um, and I think Tottenham just has too much as far as um, class in their team. And I think it's. I think we haven't seen Newcastle dip, and I think they've been overperforming in their level. I do think that they are probably the fifth best team, um, playing wise. So I think they might them and Tottenham. Tottenham has two games played on them, so they could catch up. But I just don't. It's not like they've been winning emphatically. Their like their defense has been really impressive, but I just don't think it's a top four type of type of team and I think that Tottenham are going to actually figure it out a little bit because this, Tottenham has been underperforming. And as, as much as we talk about uh, Tottenham not winning a trophy, one thing you I have to say they've been pretty good at getting in the top four the last 10 years. Yes, they have. So. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Alright, so Tottenham's got Kane, they got Rashford, of course Holland, who's winning the Golden Boot. I think from this point on, if you were to go, I think I think Kane and Rashford are going to score more goals the rest of the year than Holland. But Holland just got off to such a yes. great start because he's eight goals ahead right now in the 15. Rashford could get a goal a game the next 14 games, and and Holland would only need two more goals to to get him. Kane could do two goals every three games the rest of the year. 
and still not be a thing and be right around where Holland is now. So Holland just got up to such a good start. I think it's going to drop off and you're going to see those other two make up more ground on Holland the rest of the year. But Holland is just came firing out of the gate and he might already, he might already have enough to have done it. If he got, if he broke his leg tomorrow. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I'm not going to talk too much about it. I, I couldn't agree more. The only thing I will say about Harry Kane, it's my one defense of him is everybody talks about Rashford and rightfully so, but like Rashford's playing that well on a really good United team and Kane is playing. Does Kane not look like a piece that would make United oh. not even Premier League favorites yeah. but could compete yeah. across all fronts yeah no it's it's beautiful i just want to say this before we get into the next next topic espn fc had extra time and they had a question asked to them and it was like it just hurts so bad but it was it was start bench sell and it was vinicius rashford and saka and it was just it was just one of those questions where you know of course, you're going to start Vinicius, but it's, you know, who has more impact coming off the bench? Well, Saka hasn't come off the bench once this year. So it's just one of those interesting ones. But let's get into the last conversation because we're running out of time. Arsenal United. Throwing it back uh, to the late 90s early. This would be such a good thing for us because we've we've had some pain. Had some tears eh? <laughs> the last 10, 10 years. So it'd be really exciting for... The two, I think Arsenal and United for the fans that have stuck around and paid their dues at this point and, and deserve because these are at this point, other other than Liverpool, the two clubs that actually grow, grew their success naturally. It'd I'd love so, to see it. It'd be so good. It does look like ten eggs. Like it does look like the changing of the guard, and I can't wait. Holy man, the proper representation of the Premier League. Yeah, for Hall oh, finally. <laughs> All right, that's it for this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. We'll see you next time.